This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, April 13th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster only working from my home studio in New York. Taylor Schwenk is working from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut and producing from the heartland, Nebraska, is Sarah Abbott. And Sarah, we learned today before the show, you got your name from one of the coolest songs of all time by Fleetwood Mac. Please tell us that story. Yeah. So my dad named my sister and I after his favorite songs. So I'm Sarah and my sister is Amanda. So that's a fun little fact about our family. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I I was surprised as I you mentioned that to me. I thought you were kidding first because I was talking about, you know, Sarah and the Fleetwood Mac song that I absolutely love. And you mentioned that you were named for that song. You don't know the lyrics to that song. (laughs) No, I don't. It felt kind of like a narcissist to listen to a song that you're named after a little bit. We need feedback from listeners about which song is cooler, Sarah by Fleetwood Mac or Amanda by Boston, because to me, it's not even close. Yeah, not even close. And Sarah, I don't think it's narcissistic. I would say it's more learning about your heritage, honestly. Yeah. Stevie Nicks, great lyrics. Your name created by Stevie Nicks. How cool is that? It makes me feel good that you said that because my sister growing up, the complete opposite, not saying she's a narcissist, but she would blast her song all the time. So I think it just turned me off from wanting to listen to my song. So <laughs> it makes me feel good that my song's cooler. Yeah. At some point we have to have your sister on and, and like have a showdown with listeners <laughs> chiming in to uh, the cooler song. What well, do you think she would go for that? Oh, I think she would love it. I think she would eat it up. (laughs) All right. Uh, Let's get to baseball today. I I mean, that was a cool story just before we got started. Cardinals, Royals, what a moment for Albert Pujols. He hits a fly ball left field. That's back to the track, at the wall, and it's gone. Albert Pujols goes back to back with Nolan Arenado. 3-0 Cardinals. John Rooney with that call, home run number 680 in the career of Albert Pujols, and apparently he called his shot, uh, predicting to the staff that he was feeling really good and he was going to look to jump on the first pitch, and boy, did he ever. Braves, Nationals, and this was a blowout. Pitch on the way, hit down the left field line, and down for a base hit. All the way to the wall. That'll drive in two runs. Ozzie into second base just ahead of the throw and make it 3-1 Atlanta as Ozzie continues to surge versus Patrick Corbin. Braves win this game 16-4. That sound from 680, the fan. By the way, Ozzie Albies will be wearing the microphone on Sunday Night Baseball this week. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats rewards your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. It'll be a hot ticket in San Diego this weekend, that four-game series between the Braves and the Padres, punctuated by Sunday Night Baseball. Rays and A's, and this game went down to the wire, bottom of the 10th. And the first one to him by Trevino is lined to third over third. Down the left field line, all the way to the corner, and here comes Wander Franco to score the winning run. It's the first walk-off of the 2022 season. The Rays win it 9-8. to That from 620 WDAE. Angels and Marlins. The Angels trying to get off to a good start. 
And Anthony Rendon, healthy and back in the lineup, helped out. All down the left field. is out of here. Rendon delivers. That is his homer and the Angel 1 lead. Terry Smith on Angels Radio AM 830. Final score there was 4-3. to three. White Sox, Mariners. In the bottom of the eighth inning, Aloy Jimenez broke a tie. On the ground to short. Crawford to feed. Frazier to turn. Aloy beat it out. Sprinting down the line. It is 3-1 Sox. All right. I think that was a fielder's choice in, in the end. It turned to 2-1 game to 3-1, but that was Jason Benetti. It was a great call. Chicago wins that game 3-2. A couple of other notes. The New York Mets placed right-hander Taiwan Walker on the 10-day injured list with bursitis in his right shoulder. The Lerner family uh, announced that it is exploring a potential sale of the Nationals franchise, which was a surprise. And amazingly, Stephen Kwan continues to get on base seemingly every plate appearance. More on that in a moment. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, if you are not already, you should be listening to The Right Time with Bomani Jones. He does his show three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You can watch him on YouTube. He is a superstar, and his podcast is excellent. On Monday, Bomani shared his thoughts on the unceremonious way that the Lakers parted ways with Frank Vogel. All-time quote from Frank Vogel. Go look that up. Uh, Tiger Woods' performance at the Masters and the Steelers quarterback Dwayne Haskins' passing. Check out The Right Time with Bomani Jones wherever you listen to podcasts. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. The breakout star of Major League Baseball's first week is not its biggest star, far from it. Stephen Kwan of the Guardians is five foot nine and 170 pounds and will never excel in exit velocity. He'll never be invited to the home run derby, but the Guardians left fielder just keeps grinding out at bats, keeps putting the ball in play or fouling off when he swings. He's seen 115 pitches and has not had a swing and miss yet, mostly he sprang hits. And there, you're going to be known as a tough out as the team. Look at it. At least you put it in play. On the end drop. of the bat, it will be another hit for Stephen Kwan. Good things happen when you put the ball in play. I texted Guardians manager Terry Francona the other day and jokingly asked when his team traded for Tony Gwynn. And Tito responded with exclamations of how much fun it is to watch Kwan hit. Ten hits in his first 15 at-bats with seven walks for an on-base percentage of 750. Ball four, low, he's on again. A major league record, 18 on-base 
for Stephen Kwan. 18 times he's been on base in his first five major league games, breaking the record held by Jay Bruce. Baseball's dialogue is often built on comparisons to previous players. And when I asked Frank Kona, who Kwan reminded him of in his hitting ability, he responded, how about Ichiro's little brother? Because Ichiro had an amazing ability to put the ball in play, as if he was using a tennis racket at the plate. Kwan's biggest hit so far came Monday when he mashed a three-run triple against the Royals. He yanks it down the right field line. He crosses up the defense. Miller scores. Here comes Ernie Clement. Straw waved around third. He scores as well. It's a three-run triple for Stephen Kwan. Holy mackerel, he just blew the doors off this game. Kwan was drafted in the fifth round out of Oregon State in 2018, the 163rd pick overall. He acknowledged in an interview with Alana Rizzo the other day that, yes, as a kid, he would cry when he struck out. I also want to tell our audience about a quote that you said in a Fox uh, interview that when you were younger, you used to cry when you struck out. You don't like crying, so you just didn't strike out anymore. Is it really that easy, Steven? I mean, I don't know if it's that easy, but uh, I think that was good reinforcement to uh, not want to strike out even more. Um, yeah, it's no fun striking out in front of other people and then wanting to cry. So just trying to take that away, I think, is a, is a good start. It's pretty clear so far he's having a blast. Sum up the series. Pretty cool. Pretty, uh, pretty cool. Pretty surreal. It's been, a, it's been a dope one for sure. I asked Chris Antonetti, head of baseball operations for the Guardians, about who championed Quan in the organization. And he responded with this. What has stood out is that Steven engendered fans and support throughout the organization with his relentless desire to improve from the day he arrived in the organization. He takes advantage of every resource possible, fundamental, physical, mental skills, to help make himself a better player. He's also a great teammate and puts in consistent work to make that happen. Alan Gonzalez covers baseball for ESPN. And if you're covering baseball right now, it means you're marveling about Stephen Kwan. How much fun is this story? It's what makes baseball so great, Buster, especially early in the season when weird things like this happen. I'm in an advantageous position on the West Coast because those Guardians games are on early in the day. And they've been appointment television for me, all his plate appearances. I really, I don't know about you, Buster, but this day and age with so much swing and miss in the game and everybody just sort of looking for slug, not having two strike approaches, I've really come to to really appreciate guys who simply put bat to ball. Um, Michael Brantley has been somebody who's really stuck out at me in the last few years. I love watching him hit. And what Steve Kwan is doing now, I mean, not a single swing and miss so far. It's just, it's so much fun to watch his at bats right now. It's great. Yeah, I, I mentioned in the piece we just ran about how uh, you know Terry Francona, when I asked him for a copy, said, how about Ichiro's little brother? Because he's got that same skill. And I was in watching the game yesterday. It almost looks like he's swinging a tennis racket. You know what I mean? Like he has more control uh, of, uh, of, of being able to put the ball in play. And that just doesn't happen, as you said, these days. Uh, you know, and he just he just has he's so completely in control during the course of his plate appearances. And that top of that lineup that they have, I mean, that I don't think anybody thinks the Guardians are going to win the World Series, but that is a tough top of the lineup when you're talking about going from him to Jose Ramirez. 
Yeah, and, and I can't imagine that back control you referenced, like Ichiro's little brother. Imagine having that type of back control in a day like this when guys are throwing the stuff that they're throwing, the cutters, the two-seamers that are upper 90s, those crazy sliders. I can't imagine somebody having the back control that Steve Kwan has right now. I know he's not going to be able to keep up this pace, but I think he's going to be a guy who's fun to hit because it's just sort of a projectable tool, right? Somebody who just consistently puts the ball in play. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this season turns out to be for him. We go from talking about a rookie to speaking about a future Hall of Famer, Albert Pujols, who hits a home run last night, number 680. I mean, now that we're almost a year past it, I'd just be flat out about this. I thought he was done last year. Like, I thought when the Angels released him, I'm like, why would anybody pick him up? He's completely finished. I don't know how you felt at that time. And what are you seeing in him now? I felt the same way, Buster. I obviously watched him up close a lot with the Angels. And I remember I had this conversation with a few people after that. And a lot of the response I got, particularly from people who know Albert well, was never count Albert out when he's motivated to prove something. And I think you saw that show up with the Dodgers. I think it was very sort of tangible just how being on a contender like that seemed to sort of rejuvenate him. And I do wonder if going back to St. Louis and all the emotion of that, what kind of a rejuvenating factor that's going to be for Albert Pujols. Um, winning a championship there, I think he's motivated to go out in a storybook fashion that way. I think being with Yachty and Adam Wainwright has definitely motivated. I think the chase for 700. And, and look, I, I didn't think 700 home runs was even remotely possible this year, even if he got a major league deal, because I didn't think he would simply get the playing time to warrant hitting 21 more home runs. But he already has his first. He's at 680, and you think, okay, if he starts to find it, if he starts to get a little bit more playing time at DH, can he actually reach it? I'm not so sure about that, but I just think there's something about that place and being on that team that could summon something out of him, even at 42 years old. So the first video we saw of him this year, what jumped out to me immediately uh, was, I think he's in a lot better shape than he was uh, when he left the Angels last year. What about you? Do you agree or am I, am I off base there? That could be it. I, I will say that, you know, Albert has a history of always showing up in really good shape. He always shows up a lot more slim. And I think he's always been somebody that's put on a little bit more weight as the season goes on. But look, he, this offseason, everybody wondered if he was going to keep playing. He played in winter ball in the Dominican Republic. He stayed in the Dominican Republic for a while training. He was ready. He figured that the designated hitter was going to come to the National League, and there might be additional opportunities there. He's not just some guy who they picked up off his couch. He's been training all offseason. And you know with Albert, he's going to be professional about it. He's going to be ready to play. I, I, he, he's, he's ready for them, no doubt. So two nights ago, Alec Bohm of the Philadelphia Phillies made three throwing errors in three innings and got when he made a play, there was a sarcastic cheer from the Phillies fans and there was a camera locked in on Bohm's face and you could see that he said uh, in reading his lips, I hate this effing place. Uh, that you know caught fire on social media. He was asked about it after the game and Alec Bohm completely owned it acknowledged that he said it, uh, you know, talked about the fans. He said, I know they want me to win, and I'm paraphrasing. Well, this was the reaction last night when Bohm was introduced for his first plate appearance in Philadelphia. Number 28, Alex Bohm. Never going to die. 
So they absolutely were roaring in their standing ovation for him. Uh, Alan, I, I love this. I thought this was a really cool moment. What'd you think? So did I. It actually really caught me off guard. I didn't expect it because a lot really? of people. I thought of the for sure they would cheer him because well, he owned it. Well, and, and you know that marketplace better than me. But a lot of the narrative coming off that night when he had those errors and he said what he said on the field was he's never going to be able to live that down in Philadelphia. It doesn't matter what he says. It's going to be a long season for him. Who knows if his career in Philadelphia is over. But I do think that it just sort of validated why people have this sort of weird love-hate relationship with that market. I think those fans are different from any fans in the country, probably in good ways and bad ways. And I think one of the great ways showed up the other day, which is that he said something awful about the city that would have really um, that would have really struck a nerve with that fan base. But being accountable the way he was, no matter what he said, people appreciated it. And I love to see it because at the end of the day, this is a young kid. And I've talked to players before about just sort of going through these lulls in a game where you just keep making errors. And it seems as if you, you, you want to just sort of dig the biggest hole possible and hide under it. And I can't imagine what Alec was going through that night. And this is going to help him. And this is ultimately going to help the Phillies. Um, the fact that they were able to put it past him and give him a cheer, a big cheer. Um, this could sort of help his confidence in that market moving forward. And I would not be so bold as to say, yes, the relationship is repaired. It's going to be great going forward because right. you and I both know it's going to come down to whether or not he has more moments when he's making mistakes. And the scouting report on him talking with evaluators is he has a ton of work to do defensively and a lot of questions about whether or not he can play that position long-term. All right. Uh, the Dodgers uh, coming into spring training, as it feels like every spring training, uh, were viewed as, you know, on paper, the best team in baseball. What are you seeing in them so far? Well, I think – I don't know that there's any evidence that they're not the best team in baseball yet. I think that sample size is small, but I will say – if you're going to nitpick, and I don't know that this is going to cost them the division, the big concern that evaluators had about their team going in was their starting pitching and just sort of the depth of their starting pitching. I think it's obvious that that lineup is going to be great. I think that bullpen is going around into form because they have a lot of great depth and they can sustain any sort of underperformance. The rotation was a concern for a lot of people, particularly three through five, because you weren't sure if Clayton Kershaw's left elbow was going to hold up. And then there were questions about Andrew Heaney and Tyler Anderson and Dustin and Tony Gonsolin thereafter. The big red flag so far uh, has been Julio Urias, who was going to be one of their most relied upon starting pitchers. Their number two guy was Walker Buehler, his velocity specifically being down. Uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in that it's early in the season. This stuff happens sometimes. He did lose weight over the offseason. And, you know, just speaking of scouts, sometimes pitchers sort of there's an adjustment period in pitching with new weight. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's showing up for Julio. That's something to watch. Uh, the other person to watch is Cody Bellinger. Obviously, their lineup is deep enough that he doesn't need to be MVP Cody Bellinger. But. He's been really struggling with some timing issues in his approach, and it's going to be interesting to see if he could figure that out and keep tinkering with his batting stance. Again, Dave Roberts likes to use a certain phrase a lot, which is uh, high-class problems. 
the Dodgers still have high class problems because they have an inordinate amount of depth and they have great talent. But those two things right now, Julio Rios specifically, Cody Bellinger, those are showing up as, at the very least, just sort of things to watch with them. Other than that, I, I think they're going to be dominant. There's no doubt. This Sunday night, we've got the Atlanta Braves playing in San Diego against the Padres. Uh, you know, San Diego had, uh, you know, tumultuous uh, spring training because right away we learned that Fernando Tatis Jr. was hurt and he's not going to be available, it sounds like, to, to play until the first week of June. Um, just watching them, you know, where they are now and, and sort of what's going on, the, the word that comes to mind for me is instability because it feels like they're all these – you know, moving parts all the time because they, they make a thousand trades. Uh, you know, you don't know how Eric Hosmer's feeling about being named in 50 trade rumors. You don't know how Will Myers feels about being named in 50 trade rumors. Uh, it, you know, you don't really know exactly what Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be when he comes back, you know, defensively, which is, you know, playing an important position shortstop. They're moving guys around. What are you seeing in the Padres? Yeah, and just to go back to that point that you made about the instability, I've, I've been thinking this ever since they first acquired Adam Frazier on July 26, which was that the Padres seemed to have one more move in him, right? At that point, it was just sort of free up a little bit of the redundancies on the position player side, and they never made that move. And going into opening day this year, people keep saying, executives from other teams, scouts, baseball writers, the move in them they need to supplement their offense somehow Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to miss the first half this was an offense that underperformed they never made that move and it's crazy to me that Eric Hosmer and Will Myers were in trade rumors leading up to opening day that move still did not happen I think AJ Preller said right before opening day that he's going to evaluate this team and just sort of let it be for a little while and then just sort of let it breathe I guess and see what moves he has to make later I hope that's the case so that they sort of find some consistency. But the fact of the matter is, Buster, the reason why their lineup changes so often, the reason why there's so much movement is because they don't have enough offense right now. Outside of Jay Cronenworth and Manny Machado, there weren't any guys who you could rely upon last year. And I think that's still the case right now. They're trying to look for it in other places. All right. Shohei Otani last year had, uh, as Joe Madden said, you know, the the greatest season that we've ever seen and we'll probably never see again for another 100 years. Uh, what are you seeing in Shohei early this year? He's still struggling offensively and he'll go through these bouts sometimes where it, he just can't find it. And then all of a sudden it clicks and it's different. Uh, I'm not worried about him offensively. He has enough of a sample size there for us to know just sort of what kind of hitter he is. I'm just more fascinated by the pitching side. And he's going to make his next start here real soon. I was there for his opening day start. His fastball is a lot harder. And I, I know that's just sort of an, an oversimplification, but I talked to Joe Madden afterwards about it. And he said velocity previously was just sort of showing up later in his starts when he got into tough situations and he needed to get out of them. The fact that it's showing up early, I mean, his first pitch, I think, was 98. His second pitch was 99 shows just sort of the confidence that he has in being able to locate his fastball. It shows how much he's improved in fastball command over the last year. You think back to when he started pitching in 2021 and assumed that two-way role, it had been five years since he had navigated a full season as a pitcher, right? And as that season progressed, you, you sort of saw those improvements. You saw the location get increasingly better. You saw his confidence go up. And that's why, and I wrote about this um, recently, 
That's why I feel like there's still upside there because he's still learning who he is as a pitcher. You saw it show up on opening day, and I'm very curious to see just what Shohei Otani, the pitcher specifically, looks like right now, now that he has a more repeatable delivery, now that he can command the fastball a lot better. Who did you pick? Uh, and when we were asked for predictions by our editors, uh, pick for uh, American League MVP. I picked Shohei Otani. Yeah, I was, and I picked Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Just because I, I feel like that what happened last year is such a fragile equation in terms of a player staying healthy, and you know a lot of that was rooted in the great. It felt like communication between the Angels and Otani when he was tired, they would sit him down. I, I feel like that's hard to repeat. Uh, from year over year. Tell me about how you're feeling about you know that conversation and whether he can hold up physically. Dusty Baker, opening week, he said it. He was marveling at just how great Shohei Otani is, but he also said, look, I, I see him as a hitter eventually. You know, and I, and I sort of followed up on that, and he said, it's just hard to sustain something like this. He pointed to Shohei Otani's age and said, look, he's still young enough that maybe he could do it. But, I mean, look, you're absolutely right. And when I picked him for the MVP, I have to assume health. But... It is a very fragile thing, and I think that's why, and I said this a lot last year as he navigated through the season, was enjoy this, right? Enjoy this because you don't know how long you're going to get something like this. Everything just sort of had to click. Sort of Everything had to align just right for this to be possible. And to Joe Madden's credit, he, and I think this helps Shohei Otani too. I don't, think it I don't think it would help him to do it the other way, but He's giving him the freedom to do whatever he wants. If he wants to stay in the lineup after he pitches, he stays in the lineup. If he wants to hit the day after, he hits. I talked to, I talked to Joe Madden about this over the weekend. He's not going to limit his stolen base opportunities. And, you know, a lot of managers, even with position players that they rely upon heavily, we saw this with Mike Trout early in his career, would limit stolen base uh, opportunities because of the wear and tear of it. The only sign that Joe Madden has for the Angels is a don't-go sign in situations where absolutely don't attempt it. He said he rarely uses that with Shohei Otani. He gives him the, the freedom that if he feels it out and he feels like he can still steal a base, he'll do it. And that's why I feel like he could put up numbers. But, uh, I mean, I agree with you. You're right. I mean, it is a very fragile thing. He can get hurt. And then if he gets hurt, the narrative comes again of, do we need to make a decision between pitching and hitting? I hope that's not the case, but I have to accept the possibility that it is. All right, sir. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Buster. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, 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 with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Todd Radom is the chief executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, ToddRadom.com. Todd, you can join into a conversation right away about what we learned just before the start of the show. Uh, our friend Sarah is named for the song Sarah that was written by Stevie Nicks, who was uh, performed by Fleetwood Mac. Uh, her sister was named for the song Amanda by Boston. And I told Sarah, there's no question. If you were going to get named for a song, the cooler song would have been named for the Fleetwood Mac song versus the Boston song. What do you think? I agree. I always felt that Amanda was sort of like the uh, not quite in the canon of those popular Boston songs of a certain era. Um, but I'll tell you what, Sarah, which is a very lovely name, uh, could be spelt a couple of different ways, by the way. Uh, I think Hall & Oates, Sarah Smile of the same era. Very, very nice song. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thrilled right now because I can't wait to send my sister this podcast link and be like, hmm, everyone thinks I have the cooler song. So in your face. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Before we get to this week's quiz and see if uh, Sarah can get this one right again, uh, let's talk about this week's Phantom franchise. All right, Buster. Louisville, Kentucky played host to a National League club, the Colonels, from 1892 to 1899. but. In 1964, the city was designated as the future home of the Kansas City Athletics, who now, of course, play in Oakland. On January 6, 1964, Charles O. Finley, the A's Maverick owner, signed a two-year lease to play ball at Louisville's Fairground Stadium, with the city and the Commonwealth of Kentucky guaranteeing that the ballpark would undergo a renovation that would elevate the seating capacity from 20,100 seats to 30,632. The club was to have been renamed the Kentucky Athletics Buster, and they would have been clad in what Finley called, quote, bluegrass green and Fort Knox gold uniforms. There was, however, one significant obstacle that needed to be overcome, and that was the approval of Finley's fellow American League team owners, who were slated to meet in New York on January 16th, this group immediately telegraphed their concerns about the move, including the fact that the two-year lease meant that the club might only be there temporarily, as Finley was already making noises about a shift to Oakland. This actually occurred four years later. As expected, the move was voted down nine to one, with the one being Finley himself. Additionally, the league adopted a special resolution, also by a nine to one vote, that threatened Finley with expulsion unless he came to a new lease agreement with Kansas City by February 1st. Finley threatened legal action, but the club and Kansas City officials negotiated away 
as the deadline loomed. That date was extended, the discussions went nowhere, and on February 21st, AL owners made good on their threat to expel Finley, yet by yet another 9-1 to vote. Finally, finally, after a series of bitter discussions, Finley and Kansas City reached an agreement on February 28th for a four-year lease, which would keep them at Municipal Stadium through the 1967 season. This chapter of the Athletics' nomadic journey ends on October 18th, 1967, when AL owners approved Finley's proposal to move the club to Oakland. But today, Buster, we salute the Kentucky Athletics, who are this week's Phantom franchise. That is awesome. Uh, I, I was thinking about this as you were talking. If you were to make a list of the most impactful baseball owners in history, okay, impactful, not good owner, <laughs> not bad owner, impactful uh, owners, I got to believe Charlie Finley would be one, two, three, four. He would have to be in that mix, right? Because he was always in the middle of a lot of stuff. Some of it was good and some of it was a bunch of crap. Yeah, an innovator, a marketing genius, certainly in my wheelhouse. I think about yes. those colorful uniforms. At one point, he wanted to introduce uh, an orange baseball um, you know, always thinking about marketing the game, seeing things in a different way, much despised by his fellow owners, which we're not members of the Lodge Buster, so we really don't care about that. But this discussion comes up uh, frequently these days as George M. Steinbrenner III is considered for the Baseball Hall of Fame. Love him or hate him, a lot of impact there. Few owners in the Baseball Hall of Fame, probably rightfully so. But I think we could probably all agree uh, about the, the fact that Bill Vick, the champion of yes. the little guy, as I believe he is called on his plaque, uh, occupies a deserving spot in Cooperstown. Yeah, that's going to be we're doing you're doing a great job with the fan of franchises. We got it. You and I maybe we'll have a separate discussion one day about the most impactful owners as we get closer to the to the Hall of Fame discussion. Again, impactful. We're not saying we like Charlie Finley, dislike Charlie Finley, but he, there's no doubt that he had a huge impact on the sport when he was there. All right, let's get to this week's quiz and see if Taylor can uh, build a winning streak. What do you got? All right, here we go. This franchise has played over 100 World Series games and has exactly a 500 winning percentage in those games. Is it A, the Giants, B, the Cardinals, C, the Reds, or D, the Dodgers. Over 100 World Series games all time, exactly a 500 record. Giants, Cardinals, Reds, or Dodgers. That's pretty amazing. That That is an amazing number. All right, Taylor, what do you got? I'll go Cardinals. I got Cardinals too. What about you, Sarah? Well, I was going to say Cardinals, but I feel like we all can't have the same answer. Say it, Sarah. Sure we can, because then okay. Todd potentially could stomp on us all at once. Okay. You know what? I'm going to say Giants. Sarah, Sarah, you win. Oh. It oh. is the Giants, 57 and 57 all time. The Cardinals, a little bit under 500 at 58 and 60. So, Sarah, I mean, I this is, you know, aside from Sarah a lovely smile. name I and, and an iconic name. I thought it, you'd jump at that. Sarah's smile would have been the perfect <laughs> punctuation. I, it could be the uh, name of the podcast, but that's not up to me. 
<laughs> right. Well, I feel weird editing it and then naming it after <laughs> me. So. I have to do it now. It'll be awkward if you don't. <laughs> but it's your day. I mean, come on. You should do it. Right. Exactly. All right, Todd. Thanks for doing this. All right, everybody. Thank you. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Wednesday. And Amy R. Chapman is up first. Uh, I want to. She rattled everyone's names off and included Sarah from Nebraska, which is always fun. Uh, Amy writes in which injuries are considered a sign that the rest of a player's career will be changed or shortened or that they'll be considered uh, more prone to injury. I'm thinking in particular about the recent rash of pitcher injuries. Yeah, Sarah, by the way, even when you move back east to Connecticut, are you still going to be Sarah from Nebraska, I feel like? Oh, it's who I am. It's my identity. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, You know what, Amy, what pops to mind for me always is when I hear a a pitcher has a shoulder injury, that absolutely is a huge red flag for me. I'm certainly not alone in baseball. Uh, That's considered to be a lot more serious than elbow injuries because shoulder structural issues that, you know, they fight all the time. This was very interesting to me. Scott S. Allison at Scott S. Allison uh, wrote in, he was pointing to a quote from Reds president, Phil Castellini. Uh, I don't, if you haven't seen this already, he said, where are you going to go? Sell the team to who? What would you do with this team to compete more in the current economic system? It would be to pick it up and move it somewhere else. So be careful what you ask for. That was uh, uh, aimed at Reds fans who were complaining about, you know, them selling parts off and, you know, appearing as they're not going to compete this year. Buster, what say you on this quote here? Yeah, Phil Castellini, the son of owner Bob Castellini. Uh, when I read the quotes, I just cringed. It, it, it was a, essentially a threat like, what are we going to do? Move the team? You want to see us move the team? I, you know, he was very defensive about the Reds' decisions to cut back their payroll. And clearly, whether it was Phil or somebody around him told him, hey, what you said, not very smart. <laughs> because by the end of the day, he issued an apology for what he had said earlier in the day in that radio interview. He should have taken a, a page out of John Angelo's book because he didn't threaten the fans, but you know he put out a letter where there were some unsavory things uh, in my eyes as an Orioles fan, um, and I think that probably would have gone over a little bit. Better. I didn't see that. What are you referring to? Uh, he it was like a letter to the fans. Well, first of all, announcing that uh, the state of Maryland is giving the Orioles and the Baltimore Ravens $1.2 billion to split on stadium res- uh, renovations, um, bragging about the fact that the Orioles had the best overall record in baseball from 2012 to 2016, um, boasting about Camden Yards, which I hear was severely understaffed on opening day. Pay your workers, John. Uh, it was just him just, you know, kind of a state of the organization. That's probably talking about, we've got the number one farm system. Yes, yes you know it. You know that was in there, Buster. You know uh, that was in there. I, I Look, I'm sorry, but when you basically decide that you don't care about winning for four years, four straight years, and he's acknowledged you starting in 2000, they were terrible in 2018, but they've acknowledged it started in 2019. When you basically say, we're just going to cash in for four straight years and not put out a major league product, you're open to criticism. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. And he he said, he was like, oh, this will be a three to five year rebuild. We are uh, officially in year three right now. So two no, more years. Officially well, in year four. 
uh, to be, you know, yeah. In terms of when they started tanking, this is the fourth year of tanking for the Orioles. Okay. And it's just funny that he's, he's bragging about that and also bragging about the fact that the state is giving him, you know, a half a billion dollars. Like (laughs) this dude just lives the life. Which you would think might free up some cash to maybe go get some, oh, representative major league players. Right. A pitching staff, a functioning pitching staff. I, I, it's going to be ugly. Like, it's going to be ugly with those. Two. It's it, it's it's awful. Go ahead. All right. Uh, we got the starting block at the starting block up next. Uh, this person writes in, do you think this year we'll see a record of position players pitching as a result of the maximum number of options rule being introduced this year? Three already in the first week, including multiple innings from the Phillies, I think, or from Phillips. No, he's talking about Brett Phillips. Oh, pardon me. Yeah. Uh, starting block. I completely agree with you. Yes, that's going to be the case. This, uh, this rule regarding options is definitely having an effect. And, and if you're wondering about that, I think last year, Tanner Houck, uh made five starts. I think after uh, the all-star break for the Red Sox, he made five starts tail. You know how many days of service time he got for those five starts during that time? Uh, like 20, maybe five. <laughs> oh, bummer. Because the Red Sox would call him up for one day and then send him back down to the minor leagues. Thank God that they put in rules to prevent that crap. Cold world out there. Last one for today. I'm Matt and I hate rain delays at kayaking. Smith writes in Pitchcom voice suggestion, Christopher Walken. I think that's a love good it. one. Absolutely and, love uh, it. This was this was actually pretty good too. He said, but seriously, noted Cardinals Cardinals fan John Ham would do this well. Maybe Yachty should put him in his earpiece. Yeah, I told I, I was talking to Michael King the other day, the, the uh, Yankees pitcher, about what voice should be in his ear, and I'm like, what about Carl Ravitch? Carl Ravitch was uh, is friends with his father, and he's known Carl since he was a kid. Visited the Sports Center set, uh, as he would telling me. Uh, so Carl Ravitch might be a good voice for his ear. Would love the Ravi train in the Pitchcom system. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Thanks for writing in, everyone. That's it for today. My thanks to Alden, to Todd, to Sarah, to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one-and-done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.